Picture a grand theater with the red curtain just about to rise. In the background, an orchestra warms up and the stagehands make last minute adjustments. A musical is an intricate balance of many elements. The actors, the orchestra, the sets, the lighting. Each person, whether in the spotlight or behind the scenes, plays a crucial role in creating a seamless and magical experience for the audience. The synchronization among the actors, the harmonious blend of the orchestra, and the precise timing of set changes are crucial. When they work in tandem, the audience is left spellbound, fully immersed in the wonder unfolding before them. Just like a stage musical, a successful business is an ensemble performance involving different departments. Marketing, sales, product development, customer success, you name it. The stage is the market and the audience is the clientele. A harmonious integration between marketing and sales teams is akin to the seamless ballet of actors and orchestra. When marketing campaigns are well aligned with sales strategies, it creates a symphony that captivates the audience. In this case, the clients. This unified approach helps in creating better products, resonating messages, and ultimately satisfying the customer's needs. So where do you scout for your marketing ballet? What goes into the lineup of a sales orchestra? Look no further than Udi Lettergore. As the chief evangelist at Gong, his vast experience in driving marketing initiatives that are closely aligned with sales objectives makes him a valuable advisor. Just like a director ensuring every piece is coordinated on stage, Udi's insights on nurturing cross-functional collaboration have been instrumental in scaling businesses. In today's episode, we'll dive into the nuances of aligning marketing and sales teams for the crescendo of business success. Udi Lettergore will share his experiences in building a cohesive company narrative, scaling product offerings, and creating magical marketing that engages and delights customers. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Udi Lettergore spoke to Andrew Davies at the end of 2022 about aligning sales and marketing teams. They talk about the evolution of the marketing team at Gong, designing sales and marketing alignment, how to know if growth problems are internal or external, challenging best practices, and how good marketing creates magic. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes from today's episode. Then, while you're leaving your five-star review of the podcast, tell us what resonated most about Udi's advice. First up, Udi talks about the evolution of the marketing team at Gong. Udi, let me just hear a little bit of the the story of the last few years um, as we start off this this interview. You joined Gong as the first marketer, is that correct? That is correct. First marketer and employee number 13, way back in uh, mid-2016. Seems like a lifetime ago now. For those people who don't know, and most people will, give us the, the, the quick one-line proposition on what Gong is, and then talk to me about what that team looks like today. Gong creates the reality platform, which is the, the leading revenue intelligence platform. What it does, it captures all customer conversations, uses AI to pull out insights, and then serves those to sales professionals and leaders to help them get better at their craft, provide a better buying experience, do better pipeline management, better forecasting, and coming up soon, better pipeline creation and prospecting as well. 
What does the team look like now? If you joined as the first marketer, I'm sure you're not the only one right now. We have a little bit over 50 marketers on the team now. So it's bigger than the entire company when I joined. I joined, as I said, as employee number 13. We're at about 1,300 employees in the company. So 100x growth right there, which makes it a very different company. But the thrills and excitement are, are different every day. It's been quite the journey. I mean, this is kind of the dream that everyone has when you join a startup. You want to grow into a large, successful company and we're, we're well on our way. Break that team down for me. Is that including BDRs or are they sitting in sales and product marketing? Is that with you or is that with product? That's an interesting topic. I built the first SDR teams in Israel and then in the US and California, but all of those have been consolidated under sales a few years ago. So today the, the 50 plus marketers do not include any BDRs. The two largest teams within marketing are revenue marketing, otherwise known as demand gen, and product marketing. Those are the two largest teams and the two smaller ones are corporate communications and content in one and creative and brand in the other. I think you know a few people from that team. Talk to me about product marketing a bit more before we go on, because I've been in a few different businesses that see product marketing very differently. And honestly, in many European businesses, product marketing is often that solo PMM who's trying to you know, save the world in between every other function. Whereas, you know, I love being in businesses, often San Francisco-based businesses that have really well-staffed PMM teams. The teams will probably argue that they're never fully staffed, but that's part of their job. And they'd be telling the truth, which is, which is true. They have a lot of work uh, because they have a lot of responsibility. So the PMM teams are responsible for telling the story as it relates to our platform and our product and what value we provide to different customers across different segments and geographies and industries and company sizes. And there's lots of nuance to that work. Once they they pull together the messaging, which is a really difficult feat in and of itself, then they have to create all the derivatives, which are everything from the sales decks to the website copy to helping other marketing teams like uh, digital and organic and content create the right content pieces to put out there to promote whatever product piece we're promoting around a product launch or, or other promotions, whether it's speaking opportunities for, for events around our product. They take a big part in creating the keynotes for our CEO and other executives at our events. So really owning messaging and all the derivatives that come out of that, as well as pricing and packaging, which is uh, something we're, we're talking a lot about, especially in this economy. Next, Udi talks about designing sales and marketing alignment. I've always known Gong as selling to the chief revenue officer persona or the head of sales persona and came into Paddle. You know, I mentioned before this call, we're a happy Gong customer, came into Paddle and suddenly had access to all of this different messaging insight, conversational insight from our revenue teams. Talk to me a bit about the, you know, this topic that we dance around um, in, in many startups in our commercial functions, sales and marketing alignment. Um, how are you design that? How are you working with your sales orgs and the other functions in your business to make sure that alignment is designed, not just default? I think it starts with the, the fundamental understanding that a marketing team cannot succeed without the sales team succeeding. I think I speak on behalf of my friends in sales to say that it would be very difficult for sales to succeed, especially in the long term, without their friends in marketing succeeding with them as well. It starts with the relationship of trust and communications between the heads of those departments. And this has been super important to me and to our sales leaders since day one. I have a really strong, close relationship with our chief revenue officer, Ryan Mogfield. I, uh, I gave a talk and wrote a short article a while ago about, uh, do you know how your chief revenue officer takes their coffee? If you don't, if you have to think about it, you're probably not close enough to them. In case you're all in suspense, our chief revenue officer actually doesn't drink coffee. He drinks tea. 
although he's been known to take a decaf every now and then. So if you don't know it, how your chief revenue officer takes your coffee to that resolution, you're probably not close enough. Back when we were in the office before COVID, we used to take our weekly coffee walks and get to know our drinking habits quite intimately. It's moved on to virtual meetings mostly since then, but but we, we get together as often as we can. So it starts there. It's not just getting together. It's having that level of trust where you assume everyone is doing their absolute best and everyone is well-intentioned. No one is slacking off when sales are not selling as much as marketing expected to the leads. It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they're ignoring the leads that there might be something wrong with the leads that marketing wants to look at. When marketing is not bringing in the quality or the quantity of the leads that sales were expecting, again, it's usually not because marketing is slacking off. There might be a problem in the macro environment. Our target addressable market might be too small. There might be budget issues. We need to assume best intentions. No one is coming in just to warm up a seat. Being able to discuss these challenges openly with good faith that everyone is doing their best, but how can we solve this together? That's kind of the key to the relationship. As the teams grow, we have to empower our bench and then their direct reports on continuing that relationship of trust. And it's the tiny little microaggressions that can set that off track. If uh, the VPs or the directors on the team sees that the C-level executives are making nasty comments or jokes about, oh, marketing just throws their fishbowl of leads from the event over the wall and they expect us to sell to them, that's going to permeate down the command and control chain and everyone's going to get the idea that there's a lack of trust between the teams. But if, if everything is done in a respectful way that assumes best intentions, that respects the efforts of the other teams, and we work together to solve this, then we create the kind of relationship that we have here at Gong. And I think every company should, should strive for where at all levels of sales and marketing leadership, people are connected. I don't think there's any format of sales weekly meetings, whether it's the segment meetings or, or the leadership meetings, where there is not a marketer sitting in there on a regular basis, listening to what they are being challenged with right now and proactively thinking how can marketing help them because we cannot succeed if our friends in sales don't succeed. That's kind of the framework and how we think about it. It's really interesting you point out that microaggressions or those small complaints, they amplify down the organization. Let's just dig into that a little bit because we're in a situation right now where many people are describing the market shift as us walking from peacetime into wartime. How do you defend that sales and marketing alignment in wartime? First of all, it's hard out there right now for everyone. Uh, let's acknowledge that. Nobody's on an island right now. If you're feeling it, the difficult highs right now, so are your customers. So are your vendors, so are other companies in your space. And uh, it's important to, to be transparent about that. It is objectively hard right now with companies tightening up budgets and consolidating their IT tech stack, looking for cost savings. That is all happening. So if people are not clicking as much on your ads, it's not necessarily because the ads are bad. It's because they're not in the market for buying as much as they used to be six months ago. I think it's important to communicate that to sales. You know, There might be fewer leads because people are not in the market as much for right now. And when marketing sees that sales are getting some leads, but they're not converting them as well as they used to, that also needs to come with a healthy dose of compassion, the same lead that six months ago would have bought it within three weeks, they might take three months or nine months or not buy it all right now. So the conversion rates are also down. Having that common understanding of how the macro is affecting both sales and marketing and customer success who are fighting for every customer retention and try to mitigate churn and downgrade, that's happening everywhere right now. Being mindful that it's hard for everyone. Our, our problems always seem bigger and more important just because they're ours, but but everyone is suffering right now. And just being mindful of that is, is helpful and, and realizing that we're 
we're all in this together. You know, as cliche as, as it sounds, we, we will get out of this together. Again, it's, it's probably even more important in wartime than it was in peacetime. Marketing can't go on a victory march claiming, oh, we just got all these leads and all this stuff. If sales are bleeding and customer success are bleeding because they're not bringing in enough business or there's too much churn, marketing has nothing to celebrate about. We have to win this together. And at the end of the day, we define what we do in marketing as make sales easier. It's as simple as that. And if sales are not succeeding, then, then really nobody has anything to uh, be victorious about. And now, how to know if growth problems are internal or external. It's super interesting that you point out the need for that common context across sales and marketing and product and customer success. And you know, one of the things we've been looking at, we through our metrics product, we see about 28 billion of ARR through all of our software users and, and customers. And so we, we had a bit of an advanced warning on that churn problem that people were facing and the lack of expansion as well as new acquisition. But outside of seeing that data, you know, how do you find a way of benchmarking correctly when things are taking a ding? How do you know if it's the market environment or if it's actually things that are going wrong within the function or within the team. That's a terrific topic that I'm sure many teams are busy with right now. So I can share some of the things that we're doing here in Gong to look at what's happening. Obviously, we, we saw some correction in the market and things are getting harder. And here are some of the things that we looked at. We start at the top of the funnel. Could it be lead quality? Has the lead quality changed over time that might be leading to, to lower sales? We looked at things like their job title, their industry, and their company sizes because we have historical conversion rates. We were lucky to have data from the last six years of sales with over 3,500 customers. We, we know quite a lot about the, the markets that we operate in. And we know that a VP of sales at a mid-market company in North America in the tech industry should convert at such and such a rate to every stage in the opportunity all the way to business one. Looking against those benchmarks that, that we have from, from historical sales, we're now looking at the new cohorts of leads. Are we still getting the same amount of VPs? Great. If maybe we're now getting a lot more managers and fewer VPs. So that could be a cause for, for lower conversion because we know that in the case of Kong, uh, we have a much better chance of closing a deal with a VP that we do with a manager. Next, after the title, like, do we? what is the mix of industries? Because we know that certain industries buy from us in a more easier fashion and we're more accustomed to selling to certain industries than others. Has the industry mix changed? We look at geographies, we look at company sizes, etc. So that's that's a good way just looking at the, the photographics and demographics of the leads coming in to make sure that there's no dramatic shift in quality. So, so that would be the first place we look. The next place we look is uh, the sales process itself. So, okay, we've got the leads, they made it all the way to the salesperson. What are they doing with it? We're lucky enough to have Gong, just like you, to look into that and to see which sales teams and which sales individuals are using which version of the sales message. Are they using the latest deck? Because I don't know if anyone, everyone knows this, Gong actually reads the slides that they're presenting. So I know who's using an old deck. I know who's using the new one. If someone is using the old deck that, that we retired three months ago, that might be a problem. So we can pick up on that very, very quickly with Gong and that helps our enablement efforts reinforce the latest messaging. So that's another thing that, that we look at. The next thing we look at when we have business lost, we quickly categorize them and we use Gong to help with this because we know if the customer talked about pricing or discount or competitive, it can give us a good reality check that sometimes is not identical to the gut feeling of the rep who lost the deal. A rep will never admit, oh, I was not in the zone or I completely failed to show value here. They'll usually place it on some externality like, oh, they didn't have budget. They didn't see the need. Okay. What do you mean they didn't see the need? If it's the right ICP and we have 
the right product, then we fail to show the need, right? We put together this information and then we look and see, okay, what do we need to tackle here? And in a market like this, no big surprise, we found that there's a lot of concerns around budget and consolidation. So that pushes us to quickly find solutions, everything from more flexible payment terms to giving more licenses to consolidating and maybe giving free pilots of new products to our existing customers, to buying out other tools that they're using that are competing with us against budget by understanding why you're losing deals, not just how many deals you're losing. We can find the solutions to the top causes of that. That's kind of how we go down the chain from lead quality to sales process to win-loss analysis and, and reasoning. And I love how, you know, that obviously is multi-department. And I'm sure, you know, you're you know not just talking with sales, and but as you said, with customer success and then also with product. I mean, Gong, in my head, as a, as a customer, is a, a revenue intelligence tool serving CROs to help them accelerate revenue or get better revenue. So are you now pivoting the entire message towards that kind of CFO persona that everyone's saying is now paramount and around cost savings? Or how are you thinking about your message and your value prop in this time? Yeah, I would say we're pivoting the entire messaging because Gong in its core still does the same good old thing that it did six months ago that people love it for and use it for and find business value. I think the messaging changes now are more of an overlay with some nuanced changes to cater for what people care about most right now. So I'll give a couple of examples. A year ago, one of the big benefits that we talked about when selling Gong was it helps you onboard new reps faster because it, it really slashes onboarding time by half. The new reps can listen to libraries of the best and worst plays, how this company talks about competition and pricing and discounting. That was a big benefit when most of the market was in hyper growth. Now the situation is very, very different and very few companies are in hyper growth or I would almost say nobody is in hyper growth right now. I don't think anyone is complaining about the problem of having to onboard 1,000 new reps this year. And so if that's the case, we need to drop that part of the pitch and focus on something that is top of mind for people, which might be, how do I get the most out of my existing resources because I'm going to have to keep my headcount flat or even deal with fewer people on board since we had to go through layoffs? How do we get more out of less? That should be part of the core messaging now. Yes, the CFO is is involved now more than ever, and they care about how are you helping me, me, not just with why we bought the software, which is to make our sales reps better and sell more deals, but how are you helping me consolidate my tech stack? How are you helping with me with cost savings, with productivity gains? And so we had to incorporate that into the pitch. I can share that we, we did some testing in the last uh, few months and we found that with the right mix of that overlay of productivity gains and, and efficiency and budget savings, we saw a conversion lift of 43% on the homepage. So 43% more leads were converting with that messaging without changing the core of what the Gong Reality platform does, but adding that overlay of productivity and efficiency. And if, if you go to our website now, I think last week we launched the new page and that's our new control now. It looks a bit different from what we had just two weeks ago because this is a constant learning process. I'm glad you're not pivoting too far there. It seems like there's a few uh, SaaS businesses at the moment that are scraping the barrel to make sure they've got a, a sudden CFO cost-saving uh, you know, value proposition. But um, it, it has to be over- real, right? Customers have a bullshit meter from a mile away. If, if you're, I don't know, you're selling socks and now you're talking about how this is the most cost-saving tool in the world, it's probably not going to stick. So sometimes, sometimes you actually have to do a product pivot in order to, to meet current demands, right? We saw that during COVID when travel stopped. So companies like Airbnb made a brilliant move and switched to virtual experiences. And that's how they were weathering the storm. Other companies, like if, if you're running an airline and nobody's flying, then you're, you're kind of screwed. Those are really extreme cases. Uh, I think most companies, if there was 
doesn't really for their product in peacetime. There's probably still a need for their product in wartime. They, they just have to get tighter about the messaging and, and maybe push forward some of their product innovations that customers are looking for most right now. So if we know that customers are looking to defend ROI to their CFO, to their CEO, to their board, we also had our product team push forward some of the features within Gong that actually show the value that the customer is getting. So it's easier for our CS teams to show the student QBRs, take off the table the questions about the value that you're seeing from Gong. While some of this we could afford to, to do with hand-waving a few months ago, now we have to show more concrete numbers because they're asking for them. So that's what I suspect most successful companies are doing right now. Next, Udi talks about challenging best practices. I've definitely been seeing ads for cost-saving socks. So there's some companies that are perhaps being slightly inauthentic about that. But uh, you're famous for, your Gong is famous for a couple of years now of Super Bowl ads. How are you thinking about your brand versus demand mix now, you know, from a couple of angles? Firstly, how you negotiate that with your sales team, where often those slightly more top of funnel endeavors are not maybe driving direct leads, although I know there's some numbers from yours that say they were. And then secondly, again, in that shift from peacetime to wartime, how are you reevaluating that marketing mix? We had the great fortune of of, of being in hyper growth all this time and we're still very much in growth but but obviously things are more challenging right now and in the last two years we could afford to do that really cool overlay at, on top of our demand gen programs and do Super Bowl ads as you remembered correctly at least on one of those we saw a very clear short-term impact on demand we had our record week of pipeline in our 2020 Super Bowl or sorry 2021 Super Bowl ad and then this year we, we saw a nice lift in uh, awareness uh, we did some before and after after awareness surveys in the markets where we aired the ad and we saw a clear lift in, in uh, awareness to the brand. But it's one of those things that are still considered a long-term brand play. Given where the market is right now, the very deliberate decisions we need to make about every dollar in our account, it was my decision not to move forward with a Super Bowl ad in the next Super Bowl that's coming up in, in a couple of months. And I, I, it's not that I brought up a proposal and got it rejected. I don't want to bring up a proposal if I don't believe I can defend it, if it's not the right thing to do. And so I did not. And uh, we're now spending all of our dollars, including what might have been reserved for Super Bowl, on more measurable campaigns to make sure that we see the short-term impact because that's our focus area right now. I could say broadly, the money we would have used for some big brand campaign that's hard to measure in the short term is being divided between our digital spend, where we do see uh, short-term optimizations and continued flow of leads, and our events program, which is now back in full throttle in person, as well as hybrid events. And we were seeing amazing influence and sourcing a pipeline from our events program as well. Just a few weeks ago, we, we did our big annual celebrate event. It was a first attempt at doing a large scale hybrid event, which is kind of the call of the times. And uh, we had thousands of people tune in to the virtual event from around the world, which is something a couple of years ago, we, we never thought of doing before uh, COVID forced us all to rethink how our events program and experience looks like. And we had uh, a really high caliber audience in person, giving them a VIP experience with a meet and greet with some of the speakers and our executives. So there were literally tens of millions of dollars of pipeline in the room during that event. And uh, we're continuously working on crafting the best, most interesting hybrid experiences to account for both the quality of people that we bring in and the experience that we provide them and the quantity of accounts and, and opportunities represented in the room, both in person and virtually. So those are the kind of things that we're focused on right now. 
you know, when you've invested in those perhaps slightly crazy ideas, um, like the Super Bowl ads for a, for a B2B SaaS business, coming back to the sales and marketing alignment point, have you felt like you're skating a, a bit on your, off the rink? Are you, are you skiing off piste when it comes to what your sales team want? Or are they fully supportive of those endeavors? I think they're fully supportive. If they're not, I didn't hear about it. I definitely set up a tracker in Gong during and after the Super Bowl season the last two years to hear conversations where it's brought up. And uh, it's luckily, or not luckily, but happily, a lot of customers, hundreds of customers brought up our Super Bowl ads by saying, you know, to the SDR rep, oh, I just saw our Super Bowl ad last week. It was fantastic. Or the reps being very proud that their company is uh, sponsoring the Super Bowl would say something like, oh, did you get a chance to catch the game last week? We had a commercial there. Not sure if you saw it. So they're, they're obviously very, very proud. And what I heard consistently from the sales team is that being on the Super Bowl, especially as private startup, just elevates the brand to the level of, oh, wow, we're, we're playing with the big kids right now because we're on the Super Bowl. I don't think anyone thought that was a waste of resources or something that impacted us ne- negatively in any way. Even my CFO was was happy for the most part with, with those investments because we found a clever way of buying the ads in certain markets where we have customer and prospect hubs and not just going crazy with a national ad that would have been hard to justify for a business like ours. I've heard you say that by the time something's best practice, it's ordinary practice. So what are some other things you're doing that are unique, perhaps engaged with now or planning to do over the next year? We have an operating principle at Gong that we call challenge conventional wisdom. And what we mean by that is that things that are conventional wisdom should not be dismissed just because they're conventional wisdom. Some of them are pretty smart, right? We, we all have to eat, drink, and, and breathe. That's conventional wisdom, and I, I still follow it. It's a bad reasoning to say why we're doing something is because it's conventional wisdom. Because if, if you look how other companies you know, do their website, you'd conclude that uh, having a neutral blue and gray and white is conventional wisdom. So everyone should be doing that. But we don't. We wanted to stand out. We thought that if, if we do what everyone's doing, we're just going to blend in. And that's the worst thing that could happen to a startup. When we put out our content, we're not afraid of putting out something controversial or polarizing because conventional wisdom would tell you, oh, you don't want to upset anyone, right? You want to make sure everyone likes you. Well, The thing is, if everyone likes you and you don't upset anyone, you're probably not exciting anyone either. So that's how we end up putting out on the website. We have purple and bright pink colors and we've got a crazy bulldog that's screaming at you from the chat window. And he's actually setting hundreds of meetings every quarter. So so that works. And it's unconventional wisdom. In our content marketing, you won't usually find agreeable, obvious content. You'll find things like uh, the piece we did on uh, salespeople who swear during their sales calls win deals at 8% more than their colleagues who don't swear at all on sales calls. Now, that created a whole shitstorm on LinkedIn when we released that, pardon my French. Because people had an opinion, whether they're like, yeah, that's the bomb, that's what I've been saying, to this is appalling, I can't believe you would suggest that salespeople should be swearing on sales call. And we pulled out the popcorn because that's exactly what we were hoping for, creating a conversation. And and it's hard to do if if you're not eliciting any strong feelings or views on the on the topic. So if you're going to be the, you know, goody two shoes, here's my holiday season post on five things you should check off your list before the holiday period. Okay, we've all read that in a hundred versions. That's not going to excite anyone. But if you put up something controversial like that, then, then you might actually uh, get some conversation going. And that's how we think about our marketing and programs and events. We want to bring something that people maybe haven't seen before or have a strong opinion about. Or that would just make them pause and question like, huh, I never thought about it that way. That's kind of the lens that we take to a lot of our marketing. And now, Udi talks about how good marketing creates magic. 
Coming back to this theme of cross-functional alignment, you mentioned in one of your first answers about one of the limitations on, on the metrics you're seeing might be the size of the market. And I think as a company goes from zero to IPO, that's often one of the most difficult conversations to host between sales and marketing and product of how do you expand that serviceable market by all of you working together? Is that something you've faced with Gong or have you got any frameworks for how you think about market size as you go through your growth journey? When a company is founded, you know, it's not enough to have a cool idea. The very basics require that you're solving a, a difficult, painful problem that there's many, many people who have a budget to pay you to solve that problem. It's not something that sales and marketing can solve. It, it You have to think about what are the addressable markets, what products are we bringing, what value are we creating. With Gong, we started with conversation intelligence that then expanded to revenue intelligence. And now within that market, we've expanded to additional products like forecasting and pipeline management and, and others, we very, I guess, modestly or, or conservatively estimate that almost everyone who has a CRM seat around the world could use Gong. And that's not the end of the market because we have other products coming up that even non-CRM users are able to get value from. That's the way that you always want to be thinking. And, and as you start getting some traction, looking a couple of years ahead, because when you have hundreds of salespeople and they all want accounts, you're going to run out of them pretty quickly unless you have a really large TAM or thinking about expanding into additional TAM. So that that is a regular conversation here at Gong. That's how we make our decisions into which geographies to expand into, which industries to expand into, what company sizes and types we're selling into, what departments within the company we're selling into. It has to be an ongoing conversation. You don't want to be surprised one morning waking up and you're out of TAM. You know, that's one of the first questions that investors ask you from round to round. So how big can you go? Show us the tab. Who's a bigger player or who's already done what you're claiming to do or something similar that would make your story credible? And then, of course, as, as you head for the public markets, they're going to ask all those scrutinizing questions as well. So you better be prepared with the answers. Coming to land here, I was looking at your, your LinkedIn profile. And it says you're a lover of theater, performing arts and magic. So how does magic play a part in your marketing function? How do you incorporate that influence uh, into your day job? I was an amateur uh, magician as a, as a young boy. I, I'm a big, big lover of all performing arts. You know, we're my husband and I are subscribers with the opera, the symphony orchestra, the ballet. We go to musicals, we go to theater, we go to jazz concerts. I love that experience of the curtain rises. You just forget about the whole world outside for a couple of hours and you get this magical experience. I've taken that with me into marketing because I believe that good marketing creates magic. Think of the Disney brand. Many people will describe it as magic, right? The storytelling, the characters, the what's possible there is not possible anywhere else. They create magic. And I'd like to think that at Gong, we're able to create a, a tiny speck of that. When you go to our website, you're like, wow, this is really different. This is not what I was expecting. When you come to one of our events, I hope we provide you with a magical experience. We, we brought a world-renowned drummer who's played with some of the biggest bands in the world to our last event. And the audience was completely amazed with the experience that we provided there. I think you can do that with great content, with great social campaigns, just provide a moment of magic. As we're all mindlessly scrolling through our LinkedIn, we're, we're in desperate need of some entertainment, a comic relief, and we try to provide that. And even if it's a small moment of magic, that's what I love about my job, that we can do that for people influence. Uh, maybe sometime when you're in London, I can host you uh, at the West End sometime to see a magical performance there. So I really appreciate the time, Udi. Thank you so, so much. I love the clarity of answers. Love the curve you've launched your company on and seeing what's coming around the corner. So really appreciate the time and have a fantastic, uh, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Glad to be here. Shout out to Udi for being on the show. Now you have a better understanding of sales and marketing alignment. Today, we talked about the evolution of the marketing team at Gong, designing sales and marketing alignment, how to know if growth problems are internal or external, challenging best practices, and how good marketing creates magic.
Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson from today's episode was your favorite. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS. 